Sharp as a flint, secret and self-contained, as solitary as an oyster. There goes Mr. Heartless, there goes Mr. Cruel. He never gives, he only takes, he lets his hunger rule. If being mean's a way of life, you practice and rehearse. Then all that work is paying off, cause Scrooge is getting worse. Every day. hasn't it been between Christmas and New Year's? I'm Emily Beltram. I already told you that, right? The Minister of Children and Students here. And uh, this is this wonderful, wonderful week that we've had. Hopefully you've enjoyed it too, where everything kind of slows down a little bit. And you have this opportunity to spend a little more time with your family and enjoy your presents and your leftovers. And Blast the Christmas music for one more week before you have to shut it all down and go back to work and school. And during this week, it's a great time to finish off all of your Christmas movies that you want to watch, right? So I don't know, it's kind of been a trend this Christmas of my family that we seem to be going through all of the variations of A Christmas Carol. And there's a lot of them out there. So the, the results came in, my uh, children, do not love the Bill Murray Scrooged version of A Christmas Carol. They didn't care for that. They did like Ryan Reynolds' tap dancing in Spirited. That was a good one. But my all-time favorite, probably one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies overall, is A Muppet Christmas Carol. I mean, it's fantastic for so many reasons, right? First of all, Muppets, they're the best. I love the Muppets. Also, uh, there's these wonderful lines in there, like, no cheeses for us, Mises. It's really cute, isn't it? And he was as solitary as an oyster. Tell me, have you ever thought of the loneliness of mollusks? I never thought of it until Gonzo alerted me to the fact that they are indeed quite lonely. So this was the perfect week for a Muppet Christmas Carol, and Muppets are the best because one of the things that they're really good at is playfully capturing the brokenness of humanity. They, they point out our flaws, the times that we miss the mark, in ways that are just so gentle and joyful that we can kind of actually look at it and think about it. And they're never shy about pointing us to something better. I mean, the Muppets, they have this characteristic in spades that I told you was gonna be the word of the day today. Eagerness. They're not afraid to be eager, whether it's Gonzo for chickens, or Piggy for Kermie, or the Swedish chef for fish. They are always willing to show what it is that they're excited about and eager for. 
And that, of course, is a contrast to this character Scrooge that in the scene you just watched. He's being trolled by the whole town because he's a slumlord. He measures everything by how it impacts his financial bottom line, and he is ruthless about trying to accumulate more wealth and avoid spending any, to the point where he's willing, he almost seems to go out of his way to make people miserable, including himself. He drives hard and refuses to give anybody a break or even take a break himself until Christmas rolls around and forces the economy to a halt, forcing him to take a life-changing pause. And this character that Dickens created in Scrooge, he is an incredible contrast to the two characters that we met in the temple in our Bible reading this morning, Simeon and Anna. These two are complete opposite. Scrooge measures everything by its financial impact, he is willing to sit alone in a dark, cold house rather than spend just a little bit to be with other people, to enjoy a nice meal, even, even to burn a little coal to stay warm. In contrast to that, you have Simeon and Anna. Anna actually lives at the temple. She's there worshiping God day and night. What does she eat? How does she live? We don't know. What we can guess is she is not interested in accumulating worldly wealth because she is spending all of her time there at the temple. And Simeon, he, whatever else he might be doing, when the Holy Spirit calls him to the temple to meet Jesus, he drops everything and he comes to make sure that he's there. So where Scrooge, his entire life is focused on building up worldly resources, Simeon and Anna are obsessed with something completely different. Their entire focus is on God's promises for them. And as I was rereading this passage this week, the word about Simeon and Anna's waiting kind of really stuck out to me. In particular, the NLT translation, that Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. You see, Simeon is old. He's old, and he's got gifts of wisdom and prophecy. And I have to tell you, when I think of the word eager, those are, that's not what I think of. I don't think of people who are older and wise as being eager. So it really stuck out to me. When I think of eager, actually, this is what I think of. The squealing, kicking, wonder, and bliss of the season just pouring out of Olivia. And it went on for a long time like this. In fact, Olivia's mom, oh. Tiffany, tells us this starts all over again every time Olivia is carried into the living room. Ooh, arms and legs swelling. Eager is a baby seeing a Christmas tree for the first time. Eager is kids on Christmas morning, right, kids? Where are you guys at? How early did you get up on Christmas morning? Can anybody tell time to 3 a.m.? Whoa, that's a record. By 4? Yeah. 6 a.m. maybe? Yeah? We used to tell our kids when they were little that the first two times 
that they woke up, they should just roll over and go back to sleep. <laughs> they should not come and wake us up until they had woken up three times. <laughs> in our hopes, right? In our hopes on Christmas morning to get a little extra sleep. Because kids on Christmas, that is eager. That's what eagerness is. What we adults know is with every year of our lives, we tend to get less and less eager. We get more dignified, less excitable. We've seen more, so it's harder to surprise us, harder to impress us. We don't get as excited for things, but, you know, we manage our expectations better. So we also don't have to get as disappointed when things don't go our way. We kind of develop an even keel as we get older, right? It's funny because when we talk about little kids, we find their eagerness so charming, so exciting. But as time goes by, we're less and less comfortable with eagerness. And that makes sense. I mean, we do also have to teach them how to live in the real world, right? We want them to be successful, and the sooner they get serious, the further along they'll get. We've, we have to work this out as parents and people who are influencing kids because we have to figure out. We want them to be successful at school and sports and even their faith. But how serious do they need to be? How soon do they need to be serious? How hard should we push them to help them be successful? I know in my family, we have this dilemma around music. Because you know what hardly ever happens? Hardly anyone masters the saxophone in their 30s. It just doesn't happen, right? By the time you're in your 30s, you're busy doing other things. You don't have the time to invest to learn an instrument. And you don't have the brain plasticity that can, can mold into being an accomplished musician. It's just much harder to do when you're older. So for my kids, when they hit fifth grade and they have the chance to join band, they are going to pick an instrument and join the band. And universal, all three of my daughters, by the time they got to sixth grade band, guess what? They had no more eagerness for band by sixth grade. And so did I let them quit? No, I didn't let them quit. Of course not. They have to stick with band through ninth grade. Then they can decide for themselves whether or not they want to keep going. But I want all of my kids to have a chance to learn an instrument. And that's the best time to do it. So I make them do it. But my seventh grader right now, my youngest daughter, something has kind of happened this year. Her band instructor, it's like she took a page out of my book. She encouraged Estelle to join jazz band. And so Estelle is the first of my three kids to try a jazz band. And you know what's happening? She's starting to like it. She is starting to develop her own eagerness for the saxophone. And she's growing as a musician because of that. So it's just, it's this tightrope that we want to walk as we influence the next generation. Between teaching them how the real world works, where hard work and dedication tend to be rewarded, and also letting them enjoy the frivolity of, of childhood, of just letting them pick what they want to do with their time from moment to moment, because that's part of being a kid. It's a tension that we balance. And 
for our friend Scrooge, well, the adults in his life did not help him balance that very well. He did not get to enjoy a whole lot of frivolity as a child. When the ghost of Christmas past takes him back to his, his, uh, the schoolroom of his childhood, with typical Muppet humor, we get to see how his mentor steered him away from childish frivolity and toward adult concerns. Take a look. performed their terrible dance, and in a moment, Scrooge had seen his entire childhood pass. He saw his old schoolroom age and decay. What, what the So, Master Scrooge, uh, graduation day. Maybe that? <laughs> That's my old headmaster. This man taught me my greatest lesson. Stand up. Build your life as this school is built. Ah, yes. Work hard, work long, and be constructive. Oh, Ebenezer, life is a golden opportunity. Today you go forth into the real world. You must keep your nose to the grindstone. Work hard, lad. And one day, your life will be as solid as this very building. Oh. Hmm. I've been meaning to fix that shelf. Yes, it master. Well, young man, you have been apprenticed to a fine company in London. Today, you become a man of business. I'm looking forward to it, Headmaster. Mm, you will love business. It is the American way. Sam. Hmm? It's just the, the just right Oh, it is the British way. Good. Yes, Headmaster. Mm. Work harder. Do more. Keep your nose to the grindstone. And this advice put Scrooge on a path to become a lonely old miser without much capacity for self-reflection and very little, really no eagerness for anything. Meanwhile, Simeon and Anna are there. They're still eager. They have lived past the life expectancy of their time. They are old enough that they should be calm and dignified and in control. But here they are at the temple, excited, eager for the Messiah to come, sacrificing worldly pursuits to be there and meet him. The word beneath the two phrases for how they were expecting the Messiah to come is this really fun Greek word, prostekami. So what's interesting about prostekami, now first of all, it's kind of a Christmas word because it, it can mean to receive, like a gift or a guest, which you may have experienced this week. But it's also consistently used to describe the eager expectation that people have when they know God's promise, when they know that it's coming. And prostekami, it... Um, it's not just a, like, maybe this will happen, let's hope that it's going to happen kind of thing. There is a confidence in this word that really it's not like you're waiting to see if it might happen or it's a gamble. These are people who have received God's promise. 
They're waiting for something they know is coming. It's already theirs. They're just waiting for it to happen. So it's really a lot like kids on Christmas morning, right? Kids, when you woke up on Christmas morning, you weren't wondering whether or not it was going to be a good day, did, were you? No. You know that it's going to be a good day. You know that there are gifts under the tree with your name on them. You know that your parents love you. You know that the whole day is going to be full of good surprises. So you're eager to get it started. That is how Simeon and Anna were. They knew that God's deliverance was coming, and they were there, ready and waiting for it. And unlike Scrooge, whose obsession with wealth could never be satisfied, for Simeon and Anna, their the promise of God that they are hoping for is about to be completely and fully satisfied for them. I'm going to invite Corinne and Sean to come out and share a song with you that I think captures this moment that Simeon and Anna got to experience. While they do, I just want to invite you. We don't need three ghosts to haunt you. You can put yourself in their shoes. Just use your imagination. You might be worried right now as family worship. You might be worried what your kids are going to do. Or you might be worried about what 2024 is going to bring, what kind of aggressive goals your work or school are going to have for you this week. And if you're a kid, you might be worried right now that I'm never going to stop talking. But whatever it is that you are worried about or thinking about, just set that aside for a minute to have the eager expectation of Simeon and Anna to bring yourself into the presence of your eight-day-old Savior. Let the Holy Spirit wash over you the way it did them and give you the assurance that the promise has come, that God's promises are true and real. Set aside everything else and just take a pause to stare into the face of your Savior. Take a deep breath I don't know what to say when I look in your eyes You made the world before I was born But here I am holding you in my arms tonight Noel, well Jesus, sorry
like you might have figured that out that's my oldest daughter and I'm so grateful she made it over the sixth grade band hump (laughs) she still has an eagerness for music and for Jesus that she's carrying into her adult life and I pray she always has so did you feel it was he here for you the way he was for Simeon and Anna Did you feel how God invites us to take all our expectations, the hopes and fears of all the years, and place them on his son when he was eight days old? I am not 100% confident that I should make my teenage children responsible for their own laundry. God made his eight-day-old son responsible for all of us, for all of our salvation. Feel the wonder of that. Hold on to the wonder of that. Because I think that's what Simeon was feeling as he praised God and said, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Talk about wonder. Mary and Joseph, when they hear this, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. They were amazed, you guys. Think about this. These two, they've been visited by angels. 
Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The maternity ward at the stable was crashed by shepherds who said that angels had sent them. After everything these two have seen and experienced, they can still be amazed by what Simeon tells them. And I think we can be too. It might even amaze us even more if we realize what made them so shocked by this. You see, these two were very Jewish. This, this whole story in our reading today is a very Jewish story. This couple, they're at the temple that day fulfilling the requirements of good Jewish parents on the eighth day after their child's birth to purify Mary from childbirth and have Jesus circumcised and dedicated. These rituals take this family and weave their story into this greater story of God's relationship with the Hebrew people. This story makes it clear Jesus is Jewish. Back in Genesis, when God first called Abraham into relationship with him, God declared that circumcision would be the mark of those who were included in that relationship. Now, I don't know how you can be any more in with God than to be his only son. And yet, Joseph and Mary still have Jesus circumcised, which the scripture declares is how a body can bear the mark of God's eternal covenant. Jesus' body bore that mark, which is still a defining mark of Jewish identity, even to this day. And Mary, even though she gave birth to the sinless son of God, she's there completing the rituals of purification that are required by Jewish law in the Old Testament. And because Jesus is her firstborn, God's claim on him is redeemed, a tie back to Exodus, when God brought them out of slavery by taking the firstborn of the Egyptians and sparing the Hebrew firstborns. Parents in Exodus are told when their children ask them why they're doing all of these things, that they should tell them the stories of how God has been faithful to their people. These rituals were designed to mark the Hebrew people, to set them apart from the rest of the world, to make their relationship with God visible, incarnate, brought into the world in their bodies, and by these rituals, these behaviors, their obedience. So clearly, Mary and Joseph do not think that because they are the parents of Jesus, that they are above the law. And Jesus' circumcision and the purification of his birth make it very clear. Jesus has set aside his divinity. He is fully human. And he is under the law. The law that will eventually bring him to his crucifixion, to his death. But while God is using the law to bring this little family to the temple, the Holy Spirit is orchestrating this encounter that will illuminate God's promise in a way that can even surprise Mary and Joseph. When Simon declare, Simeon declares that this salvation is for all people, 
that Jesus is going to be a revelation of God to all the nations. I mean, this is beyond amazing. You guys, this is preposterous. Simeon right now, he is standing in the temple, the epicenter of Israel's distinct chosenness. And he's holding an infant that is fresh from the surgery that has marked his body with his Jewish identity. As far as they were concerned, this was the only nation that could be righteous. Only they had the mark and only they had the rituals of obedience to make them righteous. It is absurd that he stood there and said that this Jewish child that was the fulfillment of a Jewish promise would bring salvation to all the nations. Even Mary and Joseph were like, wait, what? This Jewish baby is going to bring salvation to the whole world? How can this be? It is not what they were expecting. It was way bigger than anything they were expecting. But the eager expectation for this is what had brought Simeon and Anna to the temple that day. And Simeon tells Mary that because of Jesus, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. That's what this baby does. Jesus reveals the deepest thoughts of our hearts. And the deepest thoughts of their hearts had brought Simeon and Anna to the temple to meet him that day with eager expectation for him. What brought you? What brought you here today? What were you expecting? What is your eager expectation when you come into God's house? Because I think, I think that this very thing, the fact that our Savior reveals the deepest thoughts of our heart can actually sometimes be something that holds us back, that keeps us from fully receiving God's grace and God's love. So I, I don't know about you, but I'm not super excited for God to go delving into the deepest thoughts of my heart. I actually have spent most of my life figuring out how to try to hide the deepest thoughts of my heart. I don't necessarily want everyone to know what I'm really eager for. Less, least of all, God. But of course, that doesn't work. Really, the only person who we're very good at hiding the deepest thoughts of our heart from is ourselves. God already knows. And the people around us, they figure it out pretty fast. That happens to Scrooge. There's a heartbreaking scene that he has to go back and confront where the deepest thoughts of his heart become evident to his fiancée. Take a look at what happens. Another year before our wedding, Ebenezer. But it can't be helped, Belle. How could we marry now? There's not even enough for a decent home. The investments haven't grown as they should. So you said last year. 
business continues to be poor. You're a partner in your own firm now. Barely clearing expenses. You said the partnership was the goal. This is for you. I love you, Bill. You did once. Why do you delight in torturing me? I told you, these were the shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are, do not blame me. Leave me. Scrooge is crushed to look back and realize that he had been so eager for money that he had overlooked love. He just kept pressing forward and going for more, and he never paused to examine the eagerness of his heart, the deepest thoughts of his heart. We don't want that for ourselves. We want to know what's going on in our hearts. We don't want to look back and think, Wow, I was eager for the wrong things, and I never even stopped long enough to realize it. That's why we need these, this rhythm in our life of, of productivity and rest. Why we need a weekly Sabbath. Why we need days like Christmas where everything just kind of pauses. So that we have that chance to take a breath and recognize what's really going on in our hearts. Over the course of this last year, we have been reading the whole Holy Bible. And I know that some of you have discovered an eagerness for scripture that maybe you hadn't had before, or maybe it's more than what you had before. And I hope a lot of us discovered kind of with wonder that we learned more about God this year and that we got to witness this, this inclusive arc of scripture how God goes from choosing just Abraham's family to choosing the entire nation of ancient Israel to as Simeon declared through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to choosing all of us, choosing me, choosing each one of you. You are his. He has claimed you. What a wonder. So I hope we don't lose that wonder. And I hope that that wonder has actually given us an eagerness as we head into 2024. This coming year, our theme as a church is to examine what it means to be a church after God's own heart. A chance for us to model the eagerness of our hearts to what God is eager for in his heart. We will we'll, we'll look at what we as a church are excited and eager for. We'll look at what the witness of scripture says about God and God's heart. We'll look at some faith heroes and how they recognized and followed after God's heart so that they can help us. I hope that as we head into 2024, that we'll have the courage to be eager, 
to bring our eagerness with us, that we won't get so busy counting wins, that we fail to stop and let the wonder overtake us of what God has done. And I really hope that we'll be patient and loving with those around us who can't hide their eagerness, who don't have the good sense and maturity to play it cool. Honestly, I hope that none of us plays it cool in 2024, especially not at church. This is the place to bring your eager expectations. At the intersection of law and spirit, Mary and Joseph could still be amazed at what God was doing through their family. It is with eager expectation that Simeon and Anna arrived at the temple and were able to be in the presence of the Christ. Let's be eager to be in the presence of the Christ this coming year. It can feel scary. It feels really vulnerable when you realize that God is moving, that God is working in you. But I'll tell you what, when that happens, if it starts to make you a little nervous, I want you to think about Michael Caine. Imagine not being a singer and having them come to you and tell you that you need to sing a solo in a movie. Check out how that went. Thank you. 50 times and a Merry Christmas. Here's your turkey, Mr. Scrooge. Follow me, lad. With a thankful heart, with an endless joy, with a growing family, every girl and boy will be nephew and niece to me. Nephew and niece to me. We'll bring love, hope, and peace to me. Love, hope, and peace to me. Yes, and every night will end, and every day will start with a grateful prayer and a thankful heart. With an open smile and with open doors I will bid you welcome what is mine is yours With a glass raised to toast your health With a glass raised to toast your health And a promise to share the wealth Promise to share the wealth I will sail a friendly course File a friendly charm On a sea of love and a thankful heart Life is like a journey who knows when it ends? Yes, and if you need to know the measure of a man, you simply count his friends. Stop and look around you. The glory that you see is born again each day. Don't let it slip away How precious life can be With a thankful heart that is wide awake I do make this promise Every breath I take will be used now To sing your praise Used now to sing your praise And to beg you to share my day With a loving guarantee That even if we part I will hold you close in a thankful heart I will hold you close in a thankful heart. Of course he had to sing the song because he was Scrooge. And Scrooge realized that the deepest thought of his heart, 
His eagerness was to bring joy into people's lives for the rest of his life, rather than have the people around him be eager for him to die. And Simeon and Anna, they brought their eagerness to the temple to meet the Savior. And I want all of us to bring our eagerness into 2024 as we follow after God's heart to let the deep, the deepest thoughts of our heart match the deepest thoughts of his. May we do that with the courage and the vulnerability of Michael Caine singing a solo to puppets. And now we are going to stand and we're going to sing together. And there is no judgment here. Let's be eager to respond with praise to the Lord. <laughs> 